0: A lot of us, most of us who listen to the show have kids who are having their summer or going into their summer. I'm sure those of you in Australia, I think you're on the flip side of things, but a lot of listeners are having to deal with how to help our kids with anxiety or OCD through the summer. And so I thought it'd be good to make a podcast episode about this. I think I've done them before, but just how to structure your day, some issues that can come up with having the summer break. With our kids with anxiety and OCD, and just some some kind of basic tips. So before I get started, I do want to say a big thank you. This podcast episode is sponsored by NoCD, and NoCD provides online OCD therapy in the U.S., the UK, Australia, and I have heard Canada as well. So it's very exciting because there are a lot of barriers to care, and this is really helping open that up. So if you want to schedule your free fifteen minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child, you can go to treatmyocd.com and I will leave a link as well in the show notes. All right, so let's talk about how to help those kids with anxiety and OCD in the summer. So, for us and, you know, caveat here, we are dealing with a, an extra layer of struggles because we're dealing with grief as well. And school can sometimes be a good distraction from all of those really difficult feelings, but my kids have a really hard time with the downtime. They love it at first and they're super excited. And then they start to get stir crazy. They start to feel overwhelmed. I mean, I have three kids, so they all kind of respond differently, but I do have some of my kids have a really hard time with a lack of structure and not knowing what to do with themselves. Even though they're all really creative, it's just so much time this summer. I didn't put them in any camps or anything. They don't really want to participate in camps. They kind of got to that age where they don't want to do that. So we have a lot of downtime. So I want to talk to you about routine. I to talk to you a little bit about travel, a little bit about how to handle maybe those anxiety. I'm trying to think those anticipatory anxiety uh, pangs about the next school year because a lot of our kids deal with that as well. So to start with, let's talk about the routine. So. It really does help in a perfect world and every kid's different. So take that, take everything I'm going to say with a grain of salt, but it really does help to give your kids a little bit of structure and routine, even in the summer, the, the knee jerk reaction for some parents is to completely let go. And I get that. And there is no right or wrong. I'm just going to tell you some things that may or may not help. (laughs) That's very ambiguous, but kids with anxiety, they like, they like routine. They like to know what is to be expected. And so the more drastic we are with like a free for all with like no, no bedtime, no wake up time. And I'm not saying those things are important. I'm going to talk about that in a second, but completely no structure whatsoever. You know, your child can go to bed at like 4am, wake up at like 3pm and, you know, play a little bit and then go back to bed. (laughs) I don't know what they're doing out there, but that's going to make it really hard to transition back to school. But separate from that, because that's one reason why it's good to have a very loose routine, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but the other part is it really does improve the mood to have some plan and structure for the day. That doesn't have to mean a very planned day. I actually think that could be overkill, and that could really overwhelm a child. Some kids are overscheduled, overplanned, and they're micromanaged to the point where they don't even really get a summer because it's, it's almost like school part two. So it's balance. It's like balance with everything, right? We've been talking a lot about balance on the podcast, and I feel like this is about balance as well. So for us, and I'll give you an example, by no means is what I'm doing the right way or the wrong way. It's just my way and you find you, but for us having some very loose structure is helpful. So in general, what I've done, and this is a bit weird, but you can adapt this in any way that you want to. I've set up two times in the day where it's an unplugged activity. So you might not want that much time where they're plugged in. We are a pretty t- technology based family. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right expression. Everyone is different, and that's fine. Um, my kids do a lot of stuff on their iPad, and I'm okay with that. They do a lot of academic stuff. They like word searches and things that grow their brain. They like to watch TV on their iPad, they play games on their iPad. Listen to music on their iPad. So it's a multi purpose tool, but I do want them unplugged. And for me, I want them unplugged at least twice a day. I want to disrupt that zombie stuck to my iPad kind of mentality. And so I scheduled our Echo to remind the kids that they have to have an unplugged activity. And so what I did is I had the kids make a list of all the activities that they love doing that don't involve technology. And then we hung them on the refrigerator and then I set echo reminders. So it's not me nagging the kids. So echo will come on and be like, it's 11 o'clock. You need to do an unplugged activity. And for that hour, they need to go and do something that is not on their iPad or they can't use any technology during that hour. And so we have two of those. I have one at 11 and one at three. So to be honest, we haven't been completely consistent with them. (laughs) I'll tell you like what I do. And then I'll tell you how I don't do it. But sometimes the interesting thing is my son with his OCD, he doesn't like to be told what to do and he doesn't like time limits. And so because he knows he's going to have to have an unplugged activity. And I actually did cap his online activity to uh, like a, a few hours a day. And so he would have to keep track of his time. He just decided that's too much for him. It costs too much stress. So he really hasn't been playing video games or doing much. He's been doing a lot more unplugged activities. So every kid's going to be different in how they respond to this, but it makes me feel good that twice a day, they are going to get unplugged. What I have found is my kids are unplugging a lot more than that, but twice a day, it's a mandatory thing. So I can guarantee that they are going to have some structure during their day where they know up. It's 11 o'clock up. It's three o'clock. Those are unplugged activities. So that structure in a day like that, just those two little things add structure to the day. The other thing that we do is we watch, not that you have to do this. We actually started this when, um, after my husband passed away as kind of a family bonding thing, which is weird, but we watch survivor every night. And because there are a zillion seasons of survivor, thank goodness. We just do that every night and it's a bonding thing. So at seven o'clock every night we watch Normally, if it was a school night, we always just watched one episode, but since it's summer, we've been kind of binge watching. So we're getting through the seasons a little bit too fast, but an echo reminds us of that as well. So echo will come on and say, it's seven o'clock. It's time to watch survivor. (laughs) The reason why I'm using echo, or if you have an Alexa or whatever to notify the kids is because they tend to not get as mad at her as they would at me. She's not as naggy. She's just, she's just repeating what she's programmed to say. And so even if I have to follow up with, Hey, you know, it's seven o'clock, come on down or Hey, it's three o'clock. Remember you have to get off. I'm, I'm the second, not the first nudge to do that. And so it's a little bit easier for me because I'm not the first person delivering bad news and they've been handling it really, really well. I actually expected a lot of pushback and I haven't been getting really any, so your family and your kids might be different but that that's something to do is maybe create some loose routine and you know pin it up or have an echo or an alexa or or set a reminder so that there's some there feels like some structure to your day the last thing that we do typically although there have been exceptions is they still have a bedtime so my two youngest are 9 and 11 i don't have a bedtime for my 17 year old i'm trying to get her to you know self regulate but they go to bed at 30. And I'm trying to think, school nights, I think they go to bed at nine. So it's like a half hour difference. And that adds routine because it keeps them on pretty much the same sleep schedule that they would have when they're in school. I let them sleep in, I don't wake them up. I hated when my mom did that. So they can sleep in. That's just me. You might be different, but there is structure. So that is all the structure I do, but that is structure enough. And so, you know, I have 11 o'clock, three o'clock, seven o'clock reminders. And a bedtime. And that's it. Those are anchoring our day. The other thing that I would recommend if you have a lot of plans going on is, and if you don't do this already, because some of us are well trained because we know our anxious kids. And so we're already doing the things I'm talking about. But so this might just be a reminder for you. I have a calendar, it's on the refrigerator, and I write what we're doing for that entire month because we have pockets of travel. And so my child's not three, but I'm finding that it helps. All of us to have a visual. It even helps me, so we can look at the calendar, and you can see at any given moment. Up oh, in two weeks, we're going away. Up, oh, you know, in three weeks, we're going to go away for two days, and so they can look at the calendar. And I only put things that impact them on there. I don't put my stuff. So it's purely just to help the kids. Uh, the other thing I do that I had done kind of for me, but I feel like it's it's very comforting for the kids to know what what is going on in our day. So I have a whiteboard, it's in the kitchen and it's actually hanging on the door to our pantry. And every night before I go to bed, I write the date for the next day. So I'll write like, Oh, it's June 15th. It's Tuesday. And that actually helps anchor them and not get so disoriented where, you know, in the summer, every day can look the same. So that definitely helps. I'm trying to remember if I did this before my husband died. You know what? I don't think I did. Yeah. I don't think I did. I think this happened after he died because grief can make you feel really disoriented. And so I think I started doing that at that time. So it's very helpful though in the summer as well. So I write the date and the time I do it before I go to bed and it kind of helps me. These routines help stabilize me too. It anchors me in, in the day and the structure and the routine has kind of helped me through my grief, not feel like so disoriented. But that's a side note. I'm sure most of you aren't going through grief, but some of you that are listening, um that might help you as well. And then I'll write down what's happening that day. So um uh, and I try to only write the things that will impact them. Even if it's for me, like I have an appointment or I have to like go to the doctor, I'll write that on there because they're not going to have me available, and so I want them to know that. So on our whiteboard, because I do meetings in I don't really do meetings, but I'm trying to think what I would write on there. Like if I have a therapy session for me, like I'm getting therapy, It'll be at home, and so I'll write that on the board so they know that I'm not available at that time and to not come into my home office. If you are planning on like going to a birthday party or if you're planning on going to the pool the next day, it does help to write that and maybe give a loose time frame as well. If you don't want to get trapped into like time frames because they're going to freak out if like at 12 o'clock you're not leaving the house to go to the pool, then leave the times off. but you can put them in a uh, sequential order so they can kind of see what the structure of the day will look like. That can really help. Don't discount the power of a calendar and a whiteboard. I know it sounds cheesy or it seems obvious, but a lot of us don't do it. And it really does offer a lot of stability to kids to know what's happening each day. If I don't write anything on my whiteboard, the kids will say what's going on today. Or if I talk to my oldest daughter who's 17, she'll say, I know that I already saw that on the whiteboard. Or did you put that on the whiteboard? So she's even using it so it can be helpful. Okay, so we talked about routines, calendar, Uh, let's talk a little bit about challenges and exposures. You know, a lot of times parents will say, you know, all of his issues are around school. So I think we're good to go. We're just going to take the summer off. We'll pick it all back up in the fall. I get it. (laughs) I totally get it. I would love to do that too. And for a period of time, we did do that. I was pretty hands off, but right now we have to kind of step it back up. The summer is a great time to work on your child's anxiety or OCD. So, even if they're not as triggered because they're not going to school, you can tap into that theme. If they are worried about separating from you, you can work on that during the summer. If they're worried about getting the wrong answers or participating in a class environment, you can go to places like OutSchool. Have you heard of OutSchool? I think it's outschool.com. That's O U T school.com. They're not a sponsor. <laughs> I'm just telling you what we use. They have like a ton of classes. And they're all virtual, right? They're Zoom classes, but that's good practice for the kids that have some social anxiety or have some fears of perfectionism or have worries about participating in class. So you can kind of, you know, simulate what that would be like in a school environment by, by doing stuff like that, that can help. So don't drop the ball on the exposures or challenges. If you're working on those, if you've taken my online class, you know what I'm talking about. Those are really important to do and to work on in the summer so that you don't lose speed. And you know, you're going to set yourself up for, for more success come the fall. And some, some kids, anxiety and OCD is actually worse in the summer because the distraction serves as kind of a unhealthy coping mechanism. And so they're not really having to focus on their anxiety or OCD. So the downtime of summer actually becomes a lot trickier and harder than when they're in school. And some kids are the complete opposite. So you just have to Work with that, and regardless of whether it's an easy time for them or a harder time, you still want to do those exposures and challenges for their anxiety and OCD. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about well, two things I want to talk about travel. So, if you are traveling, you really want to consider a lot of stuff. <laughs> First of all, you want to do a lot of preparing, even if your child's like 17, you want to prepare. And so, we do a lot of talking at our house, and this is what it's going to look like, this is the time we're leaving this is what we're going to do when we get to the airport. This is what we're going to do when we get off the airport. This is what our week is going to look like at the place that we're visiting. Very, very detailed because anxious kids like to mentally prepare. And so that is a good thing to do. If you have anxiety or OCD issues and you're not going to necessarily want to work on them while you're traveling, because maybe you haven't even mastered them at home, then you want to bring some things that will help. So like for my son, he's got ARFID so I packed a lot of protein bars in case he wouldn't be able to eat some stuff that, you know, when you're traveling, you don't really have as much power or control over the food. I did buy him protein shakes because I knew he would drink them. As soon as we got where we were headed, I went to the grocery store and I bought him PediaSure so that I knew he could at least get calories in him while we were traveling. So you want to think about those things. Think about what your child's anxiety or OCD themes are and, and not necessarily how you can accommodate them, but when we're traveling, we really aren't in a position to try new things or push them in a lot of areas that are uncomfortable that they haven't even worked on yet. Now, granted, a vacation will, will bring that up anyway. We went to Minnesota and we were visiting my husband's uh, sister and her family, and there were a lot of natural exposures. We went to the Boundary Waters and there were a zillion, a zillion, a godzillion, <laughs> a gazillion bugs, but bugs that bite, and there were leeches in the lake. were all sorts of exposures. There was a a mouse in our cabin. There was a lot. <laughs> there was a lot going on. So there were a lot of natural exposures. And I didn't not talk about them. I seized the opportunity to say, oh, you are squashing your OCD or you are being so brave. You're doing this thing that's would be scary for anybody. And so we don't want to stop talking about those things. Maybe we were private about it so that we don't embarrass them in front of other people. But it's still good to have that language going and be cognizant of the exposures or challenges that you're working on to see if you can naturally work on them when you're on vacation. The other thing is like, try to prepare as many like go-to comforts as you can. So, you know, if there's music that they listen to when they go to bed, normally, you know, have that music and put that on in the hotel or where you're staying, that can be really helpful. If there's like a little blanket that is comforting, like the more creature comforts you can bring, not that you have to pack a whole suitcase full of creature comforts, but those little things that are the routine, like stupid stuff, like the same brand of toothpaste, the same shampoos that you normally use, those things can really disorient an anxious child. I'm going to say it's not as bad as it used to be. It used to be really bad where if I accidentally bought the wrong toothpaste while we were traveling you know, my kids couldn't handle that. It was too spicy. (laughs) And it was not the one that tastes like bubblegum. So the more stuff that we can keep the same, even if it seems stupid, honestly, the better for our, for our kids. We're not, we're not accommodating them. We're making it a good trip. When we're an anxious adult, I do the same thing. You know, I get my snacks. If we are in a hotel, you know, I'll go get my favorite drinks and put it in the refrigerator. Like we're creatures of habit too. And so we want to recognize that with our with our kids with anxiety and OCD. The last thing is helping our kids transition back to school. So, I know my daughter, my youngest daughter who's 9, she started to worry about going back to school the day after school ended. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. So, she was having and she was having nightmares about what teacher she's going to get and what what kids will be in her class. And this is easier said than done, but we talked about backburnering it and I said, "You have all summer. And you can choose to worry about this the entire summer, which would be really sad, like right eight weeks. I think we get a pretty short summer here, eight weeks of not really enjoying your summer because you're so worried about school and you can't do anything about it anyway, or you can back burner it and you can worry about it the week before school. So it's okay. You can still worry about it, but I think we should worry about it closer to school so that it doesn't ruin your summer. And I teach kids how to back burner things, like what's on the front burner, what's on the back burner. That language I find to be really helpful with some kids who are motivated to really try to work on their anxiety. It's how I handle my own anxiety. I say, "What's on my front burner? If it's not my front burner, it's not like I'm not staring right at it. Then I'm back burnering it, especially right now. Like I back burner everything because I just need to know what what I'm doing today, and that's the only thing I'm going to be worrying about is what I'm doing today. If it's a trip, I have to prepare for. I'm going to worry about it a few days before the trip, and that's it. So she was able to back burner it because she hasn't brought it up since then. And I will purposely bring it up probably four or five days before school starts. We will start talking about it. Now, some parents have the philosophy of let's just wait all the way up until the first day of school because I don't want that pain. That's going to be really hard to deal with all that anxiety. But for most kids, and maybe not for yours, but for most kids, it is better to start to process their fears and their struggles a week or so before school starts than waiting the day before school starts, because a lot of it can be processed and answered. And reassurance is not, it's not a bad word. You know, I know sometimes in the anxiety and OCD world, we think reassurance is actually a bad word, but it's not when it's talking about preparing them for something that seems scary. So if your child's really worried about the new teacher you can decide whether you need to reach out to that teacher and schedule maybe something where they can have a one-on-one meeting, or you can make sure that you do that parent-teacher night if you if your school has one. Um, who knows what's going on in the world today with COVID, but you can address those fears a little bit easier than you can if it's the night before school. And so, the more kids who are anxious process their fears, typically the easier it gets over time. It won't feel easy but you're spreading it out, you know, four or five days instead of one day, which normally can be helpful. So dealing with those anxiety fears, you know, shelf those back burner them until you are pretty close to going back to school. So I hope you enjoy your summer. And I think the important thing too, I'm going to end with you. I have done the last two podcasts focusing on you two podcast episodes ago. What episode was that? I think episode two thirteen. I talked about compassion fatigue, which is, you know, just when we're tapped out and we don't have any more compassion for our kids and their struggles and that that's about being human. And to piggyback on that, I think it's so important for us to ask ourselves, what does summer look like for us? What do we want? What do we need to recharge over the summer? Because your schedule is different too, probably Maybe not. Some of you might just be dropping your kids off to camp instead of school, but everything's pretty much the same. But for some of you listening, your whole schedule looks completely different. Maybe you're not working and you have your kids all the time. So I think it's important and helpful and healthy to ask yourself, what do I want this summer? What do I need? What will help me recharge and refresh so that I can move into the school year feeling recharged and refreshed as well? So I think a lot of times we don't focus on ourselves and that's a sad thing because we're important too. So I hope that you found this episode helpful. I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. If you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes, Google play stitcher, wherever you consume your podcast. And if you have a few extra seconds, you can leave a review. I greatly appreciate that. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care.